We made portage today, heading west. Already some of you have been feeling greater peace, even though we've had to travel with all our bits from room to room in search of a mangrove (laughs) where we would find the silence on the outside only to realize that the real silence can only be within. No matter what's happening on the outside, if there's no silence within us, there's no silence. Two and a half millennia ago, the son of a king named Prince Siddhartha, who lived in luxury, had an insight that that was not enough. Having seen these four heavenly messengers, an old man, a sick man, a corpse, and then a monk, set forth, left his father's palaces, his winter, summer palaces for him, and all the things that the world could provide to gratify the senses, cut off his hair and went into the jungle searching for a teacher, trying the ascetic practices and that didn't work, and then discovering a middle way and eventually fulfilling the human potential to its fullest, awakening to truth, and then teaching for 45 years, very energetic, very dynamic. And what we have done is in a way parallel to that, in a small way. We have to begin where we are. We've left the world, the comforts of home. Even for a little while, we have to see the parallels. It's helpful to see that we were drawn by that same inclination. Some sign came and pointed us away from the world. So for a time, and for many of you, from time to time, we do this. We pack our bags and come away from the busyness, the rush, and also the comforts, the pleasures, and also the pains, the suffering of life, to sit. It's not a jungle, of course, but it's a a space, conditions that are provided so that we can stop to study ourselves, to investigate, to point ourselves towards what seems more true than 
what the world is telling us. And we have a sense of urgency about it. And it feels, to some, it feels quite ascetic, especially if we're not used to it, not, not eating in the afternoon and sleeping less than you're accustomed to in a strange place, not in your own bed with your own pillows and certain type of mattress and and at advanced ages this is difficult much more difficult than when we're young for sure and then we experience what that brings up in consciousness what does it bring up And we travel from room to room, adjusting to conditions. Then when we sit down, we make another pilgrimage. And the pilgrimage is not a physical one. It's a formless one. The pilgrimage into the heart itself. We enter into another space that we may not know very well so it might bring up some trepidation what will I experience what might happen and we retreat there deeply into this silence it's unknown, it's like a jungle. The mind can bring up anything. Different forms, visions, feelings, painful sensations, tiredness. A sense of inadequacy, fear remembering so many things that we would rather not remember what comes up in observing our experience moment by moment and we see we have no control and yet we give ourselves to that we stay with it it's so courageous let's not underestimate the work that we're doing here This morning, when I asked the very most senior nun, I think she is, Sister Bernice, if we would be able to use that meditation room tomorrow. And she looked at me and she said, the work that you're doing is very important. I'll see what I can. I'd like to support you. just so lovely I asked her to bless me uh, you know if someone who has cultivated the, her own path 
to holiness, she really does look very elderly. Perhaps she's done it for as many years as the Buddha did. She must be 80 or more. So frail and yet very sharp and obviously wise that she could see across the boundaries of two very different conventions. She could taste something. You've met her, haven't you? Jim, I think you've met her. The impulse that takes us out of the world is an understanding, a cognition that the worldly knowledge so vast, all the information that is being collected, all the experiences of the world are of a certain quality which is more coarse than something that has touched us within. So understanding that, we make space in our lives to go towards that inclination, to be moved by it. And then sitting in a sacred space, also we realize that that too has a quality that is not as refined as the internal space that we, we hunger for, that we yearn to be present with to connect to. And we keep moving in that direction. Even as we concentrate the mind in the silence, going from applying our energy to a physical object and then receiving some, some sense of settling and calming from that, even that, then again we notice it has a quality, but there is something more fine than that. And just like, uh, you know, the DNA molecule is described like a spiral, we keep following that spiral inward, inward, inward. At every level, we leave one level for the next, realizing through that same principle, this this has some, still, some other more refined manifestation. And we follow that inclination deeper and deeper, leaving behind the coarser. As we purify, this is, we're purifying. We purify, we empty ourselves. And in this process of emptying, we begin to radiate. The space grows, it expands, just like you feel your, suddenly your breath, what was just a breath, an in-breath, an out-breath, an in-breath, an out-breath with a certain rhythm. Suddenly, 
it changes, it slows, it begins to expand, and we experience another level of being, more delicate, sweeter, expansive. Even, even the, the pain in the body doesn't disturb us as it did before. And through this mysterious process, we follow that spiral inward. And more as we concentrate the mind and channel the energy to a finer and finer end point, we go right through the eye of the needle into the deepest space which is the vastest space, though it seems to be more and more confined, ironically, paradoxically, and all seems to be so paradoxical, just like looking with the tiny optic nerve, or the, op- the eye, this instrument of vision, can see all of the dome of the sky so vast, seen in this and then inside the tiniest heart which is in this the space of this somewhere in this little fathom one fathom body it seems like the whole universe is in there when we once we surrender and probe and pilgrimage in there then there are no more boundaries. And what looks like from the outside a complete denial and a complete loss that, and a stopping, of course, it's absolutely stopping a greater and greater stillness, a greater and greater ceasing of movement, ceasing of desire, of restlessness, any kind of movement of the mind towards what we desire, towards what we don't desire, or away from what we don't desire. Completely stopping. Then this vast expanse opens up in front of us, mysterious as it is. And we are in awe. And in all the journeying that we can do on the outside, we can never understand, know, touch, approximate, this wondrous quality of the heart, pure heart, the heart that has left everything behind, everything completely for that moment. And then once we know the way in, we can practice returning there and deepening and expanding it so that it grows 
stable, secure. Not secure in the sense of something that we can grasp and hold on to, but it, there's no one who needs any security at all. And this, this beingness is already complete in itself. But the feeling that we have is there's no, nothing more to strive for. The ego at last is disbanded in all its different disguises. Like when you take off a costume and it falls to the floor. But when you put it on, you can be something else. Like you see the little children at Halloween dressed up as ballerinas and witches and they're, they can be anything they want at all. Like a little play. But when we grow up, we take those disguises very seriously. We believe that's what we are. Not a witch and a ballerina, but an angry or, or unjustly treated person or traumatized or sick or whatever else it is that life has given us. And we believe that's what we are. And that believing confines us to a very contracted space which is tense, stressed, lost, can't breathe, restricted, cannot discover how can we be a pilgrim in that state. Once we recognize that this is only something that we have put on, it's a costume, a mask, that we've taken to be real. But that's not what we are. And then making this transition into sacred space and imbibing that sacredness, sanctity within where it really originates to begin with. The building isn't sacred. It's what we, the energy that we bring when we sit in the silence here. Then that costume, just that, that delusion that we have lived in, by itself dissolves. Concentrating the mind, the word concentration is like the word concentric. Concentric circles, one inside another, inside another. And more that we go into the silence, the journey is fast. There's so many levels. We keep learning, studying, learning, studying, learning 
focusing, focusing into this pure over and over it continuously purifying presence that expands and expands. We can then if we use the energy wisely, we spread it and it completely fills the universe. We are the universe. There's there's no more boundary. And even the consciousness of that is still at the level of this three-dimensional space. But the absolute, unconditioned is not of, of this realm. It's not even bound by space. But we use that as a way of understanding how we're approaching the most refined, subtlest quality of being that is the isness, indescribable, the absolute, that no words, no language, only the silence can give us an, an inkling, some way of understanding how we can approach that. And we, in terms of individual, divided or conflicted, we have to give all that up. We have to purify every movement of the mind so that we have the ability to be with it completely, like the waves disappearing into the ocean. It's a death in one way, a death, and in another way, it's, it's true life, it's truth. So instead of orbiting on the fringe, we move towards the center more and more. And in the center, there's nothing. It's empty. But being in the center is the beginning and ending. Not that there is a beginning and ending. And when we abide there, even for one moment, we don't become, we, the I, the, the ego structure, becomes, cannot become anything real. Because that's part of the disguise that is the barrier to experiencing that emptiness. But in allowing and surrendering all of that, So we think that we're disappearing, but what's disappearing is the false. And what, what is left is truth, only what is true and real.
and passes through, flows through us. And then we, we are that sacredness. It's not even a space anymore. It's not a form, it's not a color, or anything at all we can describe in our language, in any language, except the language of silence. And it's perfect. We say that nothing is perfect. That means that nothingness, yeah, nothing is perfect. That nothingness is perfect. It's a perfection of wisdom, the wise of the seeing that we're perfecting. We don't see it with the eye, with this organ, but then we truly see. And that's what love, unconditional love, asks of us to love in that way, to be that principle. without being anything at all. This is the purification in its highest sense. Completely beyond thought. We can't get rid of thought. We, the I, cannot get rid of thought cannot overcome anger or defeat our fear. We, not even the we, but through purifying consciousness, all these things abandon us, abandon the sacred space that we somehow experience through our own body-mind form and with this vehicle we experience that by giving ourselves to the silence then and expanding the sacredness expanding it until there is no room no space within that spaciousness that expanse for any of these impurities to remain all the residue falls away it has nothing to rest on anymore When a temple is built, it has a certain form and materials, but the heart of the temple is the space that it holds. So we traditionally worship the body, trying to decorate it, make it beautiful, attractive, of course identifying with that, attaching to it, and then it decays and slowly goes the way that bodies go, decay and death. But 
More important than the external, of course, is what is within. And I don't mean the 32 parts of the body. The musculature and the bone, all the elements and all that helps us operate and function in the world. But the space within, I call it a temple with, in which the mind, the heart, heart-mind, is held. One teacher said that this body shouldn't be regarded as a temple because it's full of these really unattractive things. If you think about your liver and your spleen and brain, urine, blood, all of the joints, hair on the head, all these things, not attractive things. But that's helpful too for developing dispassion towards the body and sense gratification. But on another level, just as a metaphor for understanding that this vehicle is a little temporary temple while we're here on this earth and it gives us the, the space in which we can experience the silence and know what a sacredness we carry and that we can expand and nurse, nurture. And as we do this, it has a tremendous irradiating effect on us. That's why we begin to shine. When I look at you while you're sitting there and meditating, you're all glowing. You might think that you're in hell realm. <laughs> because the the work that we're doing, the internal work, is which is really um, surprisingly powerful application of energy, and that the Four Noble Efforts to sustain energy, sustain it in a wholesome way, and allow the, uh, the harmful energies to just fall away. They run. When they notice what's going on, they run away. Fear hasn't got a leg to stand on in the face of the mind that is focused on the pure presence. What role does fear have to play in there? The Mara of fear, this mischievous entity that wants very the egoic input that has to have its say, would love to somehow subvert that, distract us. I'm still here, hello? Remember, you're actually a frightened person. But then we already know that game and we no longer 
believe in it. So we remain connected to this. We're in the presence, in the presence totally for the moment. Then it falls away, that screaming voice of fear that we've always listened to and allowed ourselves to be bound to, led by, it collapses. And then such joy when, when this, in this transition from someone bent by life, bent over, look how we get more and more bent as we get old. It's heavy burden. We come with our heavy luggage to sit in this sacred space. And little by little, it just falls away. It's like when you go to India. You come with your neat bag. Everything is in its place. And spend a few weeks traveling in an Indian train or sleeping in odd places and you start to get dirty and dusty and disheveled and you don't care anymore because it doesn't matter just the mother is in your heart and you really then you're really a pilgrim and you don't need all those things that you brought in your suitcase you don't even need the suitcase you end up just carrying a little bag you end up shaving your head and wearing a robe and going barefoot and empty-handed. Then we can really approach that pure presence. Barefoot. Bare. Empty. We can't bring any of the things from the world. We can't bring any of our delusion our ignorance, our attachment, any of our grudges, our grief, all the things that connect us to worldly life somehow lose their, their value. Yes, even... We, am I saying that, you, that we feel that grief is valuable? Of course we think it's valuable because we cling to it for such intense periods of time and it has a role grief can be a doorway into pure presence but not if we identify with it and then prolong it and expand the grief instead of expanding the space the purity or expand the joy and excitement of life I, I don't know, like many people teach the Four Noble Truths I'm not suffering I haven't got a problem have you heard this before? do you know anyone that hasn't got a problem? they think we might think we don't have but if one component of our happy life is removed job let's just start with job 
house, mortgage crisis, right? Or let's have a conversation about global warming. That'll bring up a bit of nervousness, not fear. And then the suffering does, it starts, it begins. It's inevitable. It's very easy for us, as long as we don't have an understanding of what is real, what is true, then we become overwhelmed by many forms of suffering, personal suffering, community suffering, dysfunctional family, global crisis. We, there's, there's just so many bodily disintegration, pancreatic cancer. And then what do we say to ourselves? What is the message? Then we can only respond with anger, disappointment, Fear, confusion, why is this happening? Even this planet, we don't know. It, it must have a lifespan. I'm not an astronomer, but now it's circling and then the sun must have a lifespan. Stars cool over millennia or millions of years, they cool. We're just in the tiniest speck of some unimaginable cycle. Our little suffering world here in the space of this fathom-like body, mind, isn't a wink. It's not even a measurable instant in the life cycle of this galaxy. But for us, and that contracts us, the suffering is always contracting us until we sit in the silence and discover, begin to discover what we are experiencing infinitely, inexplicably, in the truest way, and what takes incredible precision. We have to come to the very finest point of attention in the heart so that everything else in the mind stops moving even in the direction of what is good. It absolutely stops. Complete, pure, equanimity so that we can truly know this vast truth know just an instant of it and it will change us forever from the inside and it, it will give us some safety that's why we keep making the pilgrimage back into sacred space and into the silence to come closer and closer to this 
just like the pilgrim in India through all the challenges that the great mother presents us we struggle on to reach the temple to have just a glimpse of that temple if you're a Buddhist pilgrim then it's to Bodhgaya to see that tree where the Buddha sat just to feel the energy of it no matter we have to experience thirst discomfort dust storms dishonest taxi drivers eating food that makes us ill and then not eating so we don't get ill we're hungry and we come and we feel ecstasy just to experience the energy of what we realize is the place where the Blessed One sat and made this journey that we are eagerly attempting and fulfilling in our own way little by little we're doing it we're undoing very difficult to do this alone so we come together and then it's only a few days and then how do we go back to the coarse energies of the world having gone to the depths sharpening the radar of the heart to such an extent that we're receiving a frequency that is not of this world so how do we sustain that when we're we have to re-enter mainstream we reach for or dive so deeply like the bee upside down in the flower wiggling in to the nectar it's completely soaked in there we soak and immerse ourselves in this presence until it can never leave us and we need not fear anymore that it will leave us we can trust completely if we soak ourselves immerse ourselves enough that the stains are removed then we need not worry that we will ever lose connection to that it's like you would never lose connection to your mother even when she dies my mother I feel her we just have to remember and remember to remember and to love that above everything knowing that that is the real source of love in its truest sense unconditional love not love that is like a bargaining love someone because they'll make you happy that can never never be like that poem that we read we grow self-reliant we don't have to rely on anything in the world anymore to make us happy
not even each other. And that's healthy. That's the healthiest form of relationship. The purest form of love. Not to demand from anyone else anything other than the companionship to be guided, to continue to immerse in this pure presence so that we can truly love exactly as we are. Not the selfish way, but without any self, the unselfish way. That means take the self completely to pieces and burn. Cremation. What I've been struggling to express in the last 45 minutes, the great Rumi expressed in a poem, something opens our wings. Remember the metaphor in the scriptures about when the energy begins to expand, it's like a bird spreading its wings. Something opens our wings. Something makes boredom and hurt disappear. Something fills the cup in front of us. We taste only sacredness. My father is whispering to me, enough. (laughs) 